Technology and the Sea. Fascination Marine Technology. A podcast by Bärbel Fiening in cooperation with the German Association for Marine Technology, GMT. Hi, and welcome to this podcast episode, in which I talk to engineer Jürgen Rüffer. He's the managing director of Alsat in Hanover, Germany, where everything revolves around surveying. Jürgen Rüffer is a geodesist, a surveying expert, and much more than that. But where do you actually need surveying at sea? Well, if you've ever seen an offshore installation from the air, you might have noticed that the individual wind turbines are lined up very precisely. How do you measure something like that? How accurate can you get with GPS data, for example? Not that accurate, says Jürgen Rüffer, only within one meter. However, he manages to determine the location of an offshore wind turbine with centimeter accuracy. He will explain to us how this works in the course of this podcast episode. But because not everyone knows exactly how geodesists work, we'll take care of that first and approach this topic from land. But I promise we'll end up at sea for sure. First, we need to clarify what geodesists do. You're the first at every spot? Yeah, that's right. In, in, in a lot of occasions, um, geodesists uh, or surveyors that's another expression uh, that's more common, uh, are the first at a new place. Uh, when something's built or has to be built or should be built, those who build the, 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 the building, they need to know where are the uh, barriers of the building? Where should they really put the concrete? And that's why first um, surveyors are coming to define a map of a, a, a certain area, and that's what geodesists do, making maps. Uh, for a long time, these were paper maps, large maps. Nowadays, it's, these are digital maps with the, all the digital tools, with GPS as a tool that allows to display a map on a, on a smartphone and also to, to display the position that is coming from GPS and other satellite systems um, that we normally call GNSS. Mm. So it's all about measuring and precise positioning? Exactly. That's, that's it. Um, measuring and um, precise positioning, precise navigation when it comes to movements of ships, of cars, Uh, of aeroplanes. So that's the area where our business uh, is located. So uh, it's a lot more about movements today, um, sometimes very small movements when the earth moves. That takes a long time. But um, as the surface changes over time, over decades, um, you need to know How fast is it in the same range in all the places, or is it has it variations? And so that's um, a lot of our today's business movements of uh, the Earth's surface and 
of course, buildings that are built on top of the surface. Before we go offshore, let's talk about uh, your work onshore. What was the most challenging project you had onshore? The most challenging and the most interesting job was the the survey and the demarcation of an international border um, between the the most challenging was the the border between um, Saudi Arabia and Yemen that's a border that's um, all about 1300 kilometers long um, that goes uh, through deserts um, hundreds of kilometers of deserts high mountains they have high mountains there uh, uh, up to 3000 meters high and uh, this border was to be marketed on the ground so that people crossing the border should know in which country they are. Even in the middle of the desert? Even in the middle of nowhere, because these are areas of smugglers. These are areas where there's a lot of oil in underground. And um, when... In one country, oil is extracted from the from the underground. The neighboring country has to be paid for at least part of the oil that is from their territory. Oh, I see. So mm. that makes already sense to know whether the border is one meter up north over hundreds of kilometers or one meter down south. Um The meter was not the challenge. It was down to the centimeter over such a long... Really? In the middle of the desert? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. A centimeter. And that's not an easy task uh, in this area. Not only the climate... How long did you work on this? That was about four years, a uh, project, four years. And um, from our company, it was uh, all together, I think... Um, six people, more or less continuously with, of, of course, vacation. And we had two partners, two other surveying companies. Um, so it was a team of 10, 12 uh, surveyors. And how did you work in the desert? How did you find the border? It's with the help of GPS. But yeah, can you tell us how you managed this? Yeah. You can you can normally locate a point with a single GPS receiver. At that time, you could locate it by my, maybe, let's say, five meters. So you already know the area where this location should be. And then you go with a very detailed, very um, sophisticated technique of collecting GPS data over five, seven days. Uh, so that the precision gets gets better. And then you have a marked point where you have a position that is not exactly the corner point of the border, but is already in the area of, let's say, five meters. So with conventional techniques, you can, let's say, what we call set out the real point, which is, let's say, the end of or the corner point of a border. And at that place, then you build a monument, a, a pillar, um, which is to be seen, which you can see over some kilometers. 
and then you continue all along that border. And in the desert, it's, let's say, a bit easier to move. In the mountains, you need big helicopters to move all the concrete, the dynamite that sometimes is needed uh, to get a platform, uh, hammers and things like that. And so that's very sophisticated. <laughs> you build up pillars on the on top of the mountains. Yeah. And I have not seen border pillars before of that size. Never before. They are two meters high. Two meters high. But it's just a pillar. It's not a, a, a... It's a concrete pillar with a basement, two by two by two meters, also concrete, and with steel pipes drilled into the ground in the, in the sand area, 30 meters drilled into the ground. In the mountains, even still six meters drilled oh, into the rocks. So... That takes some days to build such a pillar. But you get some routine after some years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So let's... Uh... Honestly, we didn't, we didn't build these pillars ourselves. But uh, these were, were of course, um, uh, civil engineers. But we helped them to build them exactly where they should, should be set. Yeah. You told them where the precise position where, was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So let's... Let's go to the ocean. The ocean also plays a big role in your life. And lighthouses, you love lighthouses. How does that come? Yeah, I love, <laughs> I love lighthouses. In the early days of my studies at the Hanover University, I got in touch with satellite geodesy. And it was mainly a a job where I collected some money for uh, my studies for my life. So I was sent to all the, I don't know the English expression, to the Ostfriesischen Inseln. East Frisian Islands. <laughs> ah, to the East Frisian Islands <laughs> in the German uh, territory and to Helgoland. And there we uh, were collecting data of a system that was existing before GPS came. GPS came in the 80s, and this was in the 70s. And at that time, uh, we could already position points with an accuracy of half a meter. And for that, we had to collect uh, data over uh, seven to 10 days. Uh, so I was um, located on these lighthouses all along the German North Sea coast. And that was in a way so fascinating that with something you couldn't see, uh, where you had just an el electronic instrument where you collect data and then you get after some days, uh, you get a position that after two years you could go there again. And it was again half a meter that position so uh, that's what we are normally looking for so accuracy means you go on a place take a coordinate and you go there two years later and you get the same coordinate at that place but the lighthouses moved or has the island moved has the sand moved no it's the lighthouses obviously uh, didn't move uh, on their own but It's, let's say, it's movements that on each coast happen. Islands move. They are not stable. They move on 
plates, on tectonic plates. And that's what's interesting for geodesists. How fast is this movement? Is it, um, uh, let's say, important to know the movement because of buildings that may be affected or installations like pipelines? Pipelines, of course, are subject to these movements as well. And this should be known before you build a pipeline, not afterwards. Otherwise, <laughs> you may uh, have a problem with that pipeline if it's run over long, long decades. How much do they move? How strong is this movement? That depends exactly on the location. Uh, there are places like in Iceland where these movements are centimeters per year. There are areas where it's maybe only millimeters per year, but you have areas where these movements are faster and, uh, and others where it's, it's uh, let's say, less enough so that nobody has to worry, let's say, over, over periods of 10, 20 years. But as I said, in Iceland, for example, these movements are much faster. But there are places where you would recommend not building anything because of these movements? If the, let's say, if these buildings or installations are along, let's say, a plate uh, boundary, um, of course, or across a plate boundary, that means uh, installations that are across would be moved on one part and while the other part is stable which means, of course, tension to every installation. Mm. Okay, so we are already deep diving. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you talked about the boundaries and your challenges there, but what do you have to survey on the ocean? There are no buildings. Yes, you would not call it buildings, but uh, you know offshore wind parks. Okay. In a way, these are buildings. Mm -hmm. and uh, They have to be positioned precisely? Yeah. Uh, how precisely, that depends a little bit on, let's say, from which perspe perspective you look at uh, such a building. Whether the, the tower of a wind park is located one meter north or one meter south, that may not be of a lot of interest. But all the installations that transport the energy or, let's say, transport communication, these are interesting because there may be service um, necessary after some time. These installations are laid down in the ground. The cables. Cables, yeah. Uh -huh. And you have to, perhaps you have to find them fast enough to repair, which is, let's say, the normal case to repair something that has been broken or whatever. So you want to locate it as good as possible. That means once you install it, you should give it a position, at least at those places where there is a bend, for example, mm. a bend where a cable goes from north-south direction a little bit to the west. At least at that place, you should know that precise enough. And the orientation of a wind park, uh, if you look at a wind park from, let's say, from a drone or from a plane, this looks very, very regular. Yes, very. This is what, this is, what is done by positioning using GNSS or GPS. 
But do you have any reference points out there on the ocean? Everything is a movement. Even the uh, seabed yeah. moves, yeah. as you just told. Yeah. The water is a permanent movement. Typically, you have no reference points there. On land, what geodesists do, they, as I told you with the uh, border, you can build a pillar or a stone. Here, it's normally a stone. On sea, obviously, this doesn't help because you can't see it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> But you may have, and that's what what's typically for offshore wind parks, you have platforms that are for housing, that are for technical installations to cover the whole, uh, whole wind park. And there we typically install such a reference station with specific instrumentation because these places are not easy to reach they have special uh, conditions with all the salt with the wind with the rain uh, so there we built special installations as a reference stations and we can control them over a long time because they are in a way connected to reference stations on land so if such a platform would move we would see that over that what we call a, a monitoring installation. So we could monitor the position of these reference stations. What is the most challenging condition out there for you? Of course, uh, on the one hand, it's the climate, because all technical installations, they are subject to, uh, let's say, this aggressive salt, to heavy wind when you uh, set up antennas. They should be stable and they should work. Cables are not as easy as on land uh, with, let's say, standard conditions. Yeah, and of course, as I said, you would not want uh, to go there twice a month for, let's say, um, look for some instrument that uh, does not uh, work anymore. The best thing is what we had in our projects, install it once And then it stays for the next two years mm -hmm. when the uh, wind park is ready built. So it's a couple of conditions that are very special uh, at sea. How precisely can you work at sea? The same precision as we can do here on land. One centimeter. Yeah, a single GPS receiver itself will give you a, normally a position of about a meter. If you want to go down to the centimeter level, you always need to do it relatively to a so-called reference station. That means the same satellites are observed on the reference stations and on a receiver that's somewhere in the area. And the errors are the same. So just mathematically, you, you make differences. And with those differences, you get the same accuracy on a new point okay. than on the reference station. Mm -hmm. But you need to know an exact position of the reference stations. Otherwise, you wouldn't get it that precise. Okay. Do you also have to survey the seabed, which is fairly unknown? I think only 8% is known. Let's say we are, let's say, in a contact to people who survey the seabed okay. because they require special GNSS equipment to survey this the seabed for mapping of of the seabed but we don't 
do this ourselves. So we know what's required. That's something we could do, but there are definitely specialists who can do that much better than we. What do you love about your job? I love about my job that um, every day there may be a new challenge, and that's what I love. Uh, that's how I set up the company. That That's how I choose my colleagues here in the company. We all like that. And uh, so whenever somebody comes along and uh, says, I have a problem, yeah, let's say, come here. We got you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you, Jürgen Rüffer. <laughs> well, you're welcome. That was today's podcast episode. I talked to Jürgen Rüffer, Managing Director at Alsat in Hanover, Germany. Two weeks from now, we will publish the next episode. I recommend subscribing to this podcast. And I really would appreciate a positive review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Bye. Technology and the Sea Fascination Marine Technology Podcast by Bärbel Feening in cooperation with the German Association for Marine Technology, GMT. GMT.